Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. Drums from the reenactment of the Battle of Lexington, one of the opening battles of the American Revolutionary War. The day, April 19, 1775, forged legendary figures into our history, like Paul Revere, who warned local troops of the British Army's impending attack, and the Minutemen, who held the Redcoats off. If we did not defend ourselves, they would kill us. Tomorrow is Patriot's Day, a Massachusetts state holiday that commemorates this historic moment. But left out of the narrative, how about the fact that these patriots fighting the British in the name of American freedom were also enslavers? Or that the black people who fought in these historic battles hardly ever get mentioned, nor do the lives of those who were enslaved, emancipated, or born free in colonial Lexington? This year, the Lexington Historical Society has overhauled their tours and teaching materials to broaden the vision of Lexington and come to terms with the fact that the Cradle of Liberty was also a town where enslaved persons lived. Joining me now, Carol Ward, Executive Director of the Lexington Historical Society. Welcome, Carol. Thank you so much, Callie. And also with me is Sean Osborne, founder, past president, and historian of the Association of Black Citizens of Lexington and part of the Lexington Historical Society's working group. Hi, Clally. Well, I'm glad to have both of you. Carol, I'm going to start with you. Uh, This has been a project you've been working on for more than a year, it seems. How excited are you that this has all come together now, all of the details all of the the history that was uh, little known or unknown. First, let's talk about the excitement and then we'll get to the details. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having us on, Callie. And I'm excited on multiple levels. So I actually just came aboard the Lexington Historical Society about six months ago as executive director. Um, So this is a project that has been in the works, like you mentioned, for over a year. Due to COVID, there's been some stops and starts, but I'm so excited to be a part of the completion of the project. And as you mentioned, this is so important to making history accessible to all, which is near and dear to my heart, and making sure that we tell everyone's story. So the fact that we're launching our reinterpretation is amazing. Well, it is so exciting, Sean, and I know this has been a mission of yours, even before you were working with this particular effort to sort of get these names and get this history fleshed out, you were recruited to be a part of the working group, you along with Robert Bellinger, who's an historian. So talk to me about um, when you came to the project, what did you already understand about who Black Lexingtonians in colonial times were? And who played a part in the battles of Lexington? Well, thank you. Uh, Yes, I uh, came to this with 
some names in, in mind, you know, specifically the, the the Burdu family. And how did you know them? I mean, how? I mean, nobody knows this. So how did you know they even existed? And who were they, by the way? <laughs> so <laughs> the Burdus were a family. Philip and Anna Solomon Burdu had both been emancipated in the Boston area, married in Medford, and then moved to Lexington, bought property, and uh, raised their children here. And I came across their children because I was trying to figure out, I knew that Prince Esterbrook was a famous Black figure, um, a Black Lexingtonian, the Revolutionary War, but I, I, I had a sense that there were more. Well, first let's pause. Who's Prince Esterbrook? Uh, Prince Esterbrook was a um, enslaved Black man in Lexington who was injured on the green. And so that's, and then he, he continued to serve um, throughout most of the Revolutionary War. And I, I knew his story as, as an enslaved Black man, but I also knew from, you know, having done other research on, on Black veterans throughout the history of the United States, that there's usually more than just one. And, and as, as I did the research and I came across others, um, I then started asking the question, why aren't their stories as well known as Prince Estabrook's? What is it about their story that's keeping it from, from the public? And so that it became you know, my work and then the work of, of ABCL to bring those stories um, to people in Lexington and then working with the Historical Society to everyone who visits the town. And uh, ABCL is the Association of Black Citizens of Lexington. And we should say you're a history buff. This is not your profession, but yet you were engaged for a long time, as you've said, with uh, looking for this information. And and as a Air Force vet, so you had a little bit of a military interest, I guess, in these in these uh, colonial battles. Yes, you know, maybe it's because I I, I um, can only look through the lens of my family, but I I think that people think of wars through the eye, the lens of the of the warriors and so when i think about any war that's 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 uh we, we look at i, I want to know who were the people who fought in it and and so while there were many black people men and women who supported the continental army in in, in various ways it's through the lens of the soldiers and sailors that i think we capture the larger audience Okay. So, Carol, um, what um, the Lexington Historical Society was able to do was get some funding to go back and do some of the work that Sean uh, was involved in in finding out more about the Burdu specifically and even more about Prince Estabrook and what the general reimagining now and revision of, of the tours and the documents will mean is that these stories are a part of the Lexington story as it is told through the Historical Society. That's correct. So a couple of things to unpack in what you were just saying, Callie, is we are so thankful for funding from the foundation of, for Metro West that gave $10,000 to realize this project. And nonprofits like ourselves, we really feel that the funding is important, that when we get funding like that, it's a way that people understand how important all history is. And exactly what you just said, that 
one of the things that I say in the last six months that I've been here is as the historical society, we talk about April 1970, 75, but yesterday is history. And how do we discuss everyone that has come from yesterday and before that? And the enslaved population, the indentured population, the free black population of Lexington, there's so many stories to tell. And honestly, what we're presenting at Hancock Clark is just the tip of the iceberg, but the funding is allowing us to do multiple things. We're going to have a new entry um, exhibition that Hancock Clark, any visitor that goes there will see and be able to read and experience and interact with. It's given us funding to redo the tour of Hancock Clark and also bring some experts in like Sean, like Dr. Bellinger, some other historic house friends from the Royal House to do some training for our docents. So really different layers of the stories. And so as you do that, what it requires for some will be, I think, a reshifting of their imagination, thinking back toward these times. Because when I think about the battle as reenacted every Patriot's Day, you know, I, I've never seen a brown face out there. Um, so I just thought it was, you know, it really never occurred to me till I read about your project. Wow. OK, so there were some uh, black soldiers out there. Makes sense. But I just didn't know that. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, as an art historian, as a museum educator, that's what I always want to do is history at the base level is stories and make sure that we're telling everyone's stories. And the history books do leave a lot of things out and a lot of people's stories out. Well, you recruited, as, as we've mentioned, um, historian Robert Bellinger. I want us to take a listen to him. He was tasked with researching slavery in Lexington, and here he is speaking about his work digging through the archives. As I am right now, I'm looking to see if there are any gaps there are, any questions that are hanging um, that can be filled through the archives, and then do more expansive look at other archives in the area and begin to try to piece together family connections, identities, and as much information about both the enslaved and free Black populations of Lexington. And what's exciting is that that also carries over into neighboring communities. So, this is an interesting piece that you all are, are unpacking, as you would say, Carol, for all of us, uh, because you're telling a story that has always been branded as a fight for freedom. But a lot of the people who were chief leaders of this fight were enslavers. I was about to say people who were able to own, I'm using air quotes, other people. And so there was slavery present here, Sean, which I think, as you said, people can't get a grip on. It doesn't they don't know that New England actually was a place where enslaved people lived. That's right. They, they, they don't. And I, having grown up in the Southeast, can attest to that. I grew up with that misunderstanding. Uh, and so it's in, in, important to, to understand what that looked like and what that meant in April of 1775, as well as throughout um, the colonial history of, of Massachusetts. And so I'm happy that the historical society is, is looking at that. And, and as Bob was saying, the, there are holes and, and, and many of the holes are because of the lens with which we look at the history. And so for, for me, I tell people that what's interesting about the Burdus is because they were landowners, they are listed in the history of Lexington as landowners. They're not listed under Negroes of Lexington. 
because the historian is looking at it from a tax record standpoint, never assuming that that landowners who are paying taxes were black. And so there are people that are that are missed because of the way we do the search. And in, in, in the same way, Eli Burdu, who was born free, uh, like his father, was indentured. And so we've known in Lexington for, for many years that he was there on April 19th, but the idea that he was black goes back to what you're saying about not seeing a black reenactor. You know, it wasn't thought that if someone were to pay, play Eli Burdu, that they would be black, mm. right? So, the, so, so it's, it's not so much erasure as it's just that, that misinformation. So as people like Bob through encouragement and through uh, support of grants, as well as other amateur historians like myself, dig deeper, hopefully the, the stories will become more, more rich and the connections between the black, white, and Native American residents of Massachusetts will become clearer. Hmm. I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm joined by Carol Ward, Executive Director of the Lexington Historical Society, and Sean Osborne, founder of the Association of Black Citizens of Lexington. We're discussing the presence of enslaved people in Lexington's past. So, Carol, a lot of what we're talking about here is history that was, or people who were hidden in plain sight. They were here. We just didn't know how to recognize them or find the information that led to their stories. I'm particularly interested in the uh, Hancock Clark House, where you're going to be highlighting the lives of two enslaved people. Talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So the reinterpretation of Hancock Clark is going to include an exhibition in kind of our lobby area that will talk about three major things. The history of the house itself and the families that have information and we've been talking about for years and years and years. Um, The new information and research that Dr. Bellinger has found about black residents of Lexington, again, enslaved, indentured, and free, specifically spotlighting two enslaved people that we know lived at the house, worked at the house, Jack and Dinah, And then the lens that we're really talking about it through is what is liberty? And I think, Kelly, that really goes to what we've been talking about in a couple of your questions, is liberty is a very fluid concept. We had our founders talking about liberty from Great Britain, but they left out a lot of groups of people, women, people of color. And so that's what we're hoping to focus on in the new interpretation. Now, you're doing something interesting based on a model from the Holocaust Remembrance? Yes. Describe that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So based on, if anyone's been to Germany, around various towns in Germany, there are brass plaques in the ground dedicated to families that were kidnapped, captured, disappeared during the Holocaust. And so there's an organization here in the United States called Stopping Stones that is doing the same thing, basically same model, with enslaved people. And so we are so honored that they're working with us to have plaques for both Jack and Dinah at the threshold of Hancock Clark House. And we're going to have an unveiling of that. And so anyone that walks up into Hancock Clark and into Hancock Clark will see these these plaques in the ground and um, honor their memory and remember them. And again, I think telling those stories is so important. So what are you hearing from people who are excited about having all this material included, Sean? Because this will be the the unveiling of of a lot of the new material. 
And it's a big celebration around this time. Usually all these museums are open and people go in to, while they're there to sort of witness the reenactment, also go in and hear the stories of Lexington. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of excitement. People are excited. Even I've heard from folks who are new immigrants to the country from, from Asia. They're excited to, to see the bigger picture, to see the, to see the full story. We've been working with Lexington Public Schools to, to integrate some of these stories into the third grade curriculum. And so those, those teachers and, and some of those students are, are excited about seeing what they've been learning in class come to life. And it's the, uh, the paradox of Massachusetts being the, the first state to uh, legalize slavery as well as the first state to, uh, to end slavery. And to see that, that richness so that everyone can sit there and say, ah, there, there was work to be done April, on April 19th and 1775, and there'll be work to be done on April 19th, 2022. So a couple of things. I think the only name I knew Black with regard to the Revolutionary War was Crispus Attucks. And now I'm confused about, you know, where is Crispus Attucks in the scheme of Prince Esterbrook and the Burdus? Right. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you and, and I, I sympathize. Um, so you have, uh, you know, Crispus Attucks, who you know, most of us um, learned about. Uh, he self-emancipated from, I believe, Framingham. And then, um, you know, years before 1775, he uh, ends up assaulting some soldiers and, uh, and, and, and being killed. And the Boston Massacre, as it was, he was one of many who were killed that day. On the other hand, you have years later in 1775, you have the grandchildren of, of enslaved Africans, and you have an enslaved black man armed, mm. not throwing, not throwing ice balls, not throwing snowballs, mm. but armed and shooting at and participating in an armed rebellion. Right. And so that's the, the connection in terms of, of how they got there in terms of, of being African-American, Africans born in America, but also the transition from being a civilian who is angry to being a member of the militia and the army who was armed. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people listening would have the same question. We weren't quite sure because that's the name we knew. And I was taught that Crispus Attucks was the first person to die in the you know, early on in the in the battles against the British. So see, now you learn something <laughs> when you have real information as you two have are working to unveil. I want to step back and ask you a larger question. You, you may know that across the country, this is a fraught period where people and actually some laws are in place to stop discussion of both our country's history of enslavement and just discussion at all about a terrible part of our history where real people were, quote unquote, owned by others. And here you are working as hard as you can to reveal and to expand uh, what we know about this history and that uh, time period, particularly to Lexington. And I wonder what you think about that, Sean Osborne. I think it's, it's a shame. It's a shame that people don't want to learn about the complicity of our country in the dehumanization of others, uh, the dehumanization of, of Africans and their descendants in, in this country is, is part of our history. You know, there are many instances that uh, of today that echo back to the 1700s 
and in the way that we think about others. And what I want people to be able to do, and that's why I love, I'm so happy that you're having us on your show, is to understand that people are not all or nothing. They are very complex. And so you, it's in that complexity that you're able to say, oh yes, this person did something really wrong. Some would say was, you know, was, was, a, was, was a sinner. Um, yet they also had the capacity for doing something that was good. And so if our founding fathers could be enslavers and yet be the founding fathers of, of the American democracy, then our neighbors with whom we don't agree on certain issues may also be capable of being our allies on other issues. Mm. Carol? I completely agree with all of what Sean was saying. And I think I go back to the phrase, if you don't learn from the past, you're doomed to repeat it. And I think as a historian, as an art historian, it really worries me when people want to view history through our 21st century lens. You know, like Sean was saying, we can talk about people being really complex and people can have done amazing things for themselves, for our country, and also have made decisions that we obviously disagree with today, but both of those can be true. And it doesn't mean that we erase them from history or don't talk about them. And definitely as a museum educator, don't educate our new generations on it because how will people learn about it if it's completely wiped from history books? And it does scare me that there's teenagers I know, younger kids that I know, my last job was at an art school, but we talked about history a lot, that just don't know things that I was even taught in school because schools are eliminating it. And it's really, really scary. Mm. So now the grant and this project were linked together, and it was to to create the tour and the new exhibition to train the volunteers with the expanded story. Will you continue to do more? Um, I don't know if you have anything left from the grant in order to do that, or will there be other efforts to find more information, Carol? The the short answer is yes. I mm-hmm. think you know this, as I mentioned, is is kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, We definitely are rolling out at Hancock-Clark first because we have that information now. I have applied, as executive directors do, to lots more grants for different projects to make history more accessible, to make our houses more accessible to different populations. We're currently fundraising for a very large project for our main space, which is called The Depot, to transform it into an education exhibition space. And I want to make sure that those exhibitions tell all the history of Lexington. So definitely stay tuned for more down the road. Okay. Sean, you want to add something? I I do. Thank you. What we've talked about, both Carol and I, as well as people on the interpretation committee, is that because there are so many great stories that at, at some point, it would be great to not just have a tour that talks about Jack and Dinah, um, as integrated into the larger um, discussion about the, the Heckler Clark House, but to have a tour just on the Black residents of Lexington, of colonial Lexington, or of 18th century Lexington. So that you, you see that interplay between the, um, 
the free, the enslaved, um, and the indentured, and Black people, and how they may or may not have interacted with the free and indentured white people of Washington. Hmm. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. In the meantime, this is very interesting, and I think it's going to really intrigue a lot of particularly uh, history buffs and just people who have long enjoyed that Patriots Day celebration just to be able to see it in a broader context. So I thank both of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Carol Ward is the executive director of the Lexington Historical Society. Sean Osborne is founder, past president, and historian of the Association of Black Citizens of Lexington and part of the Lexington Historical Society's working group. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubley and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Vanessa Handy. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. 